You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. I think leopards are probably one of the most successful predators on Earth. Yes, they're very opportunistic and they can adapt easily. What can they teach us? leopards and humans, and whether it's in art or mythology, folklore, just storytelling, everywhere across Asia and Africa. Many species are in crisis and need your help. If you're fortunate to see them in zoos, but that's the Amir leopard, Mm -hmm. and this is the one that's the most endangered of any leopard species. So far eastern Russia. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Angie. How you doing, Angie? I'm excellent. How are you? Dude, this weather is awesome in Florida. Right now it's fall. Very much so, yeah. with a little bit of color change. A little bit of color change, and it's actually a little bit cooler for once mm. in late October. Walking the dog this morning was amazing. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, of course, next week we'll probably be like 90 again, and we'll be sweaty and hot. Typical Florida weather. This week we're talking about leopards, mm-hmm. and I know you and I both have investigated, you know, what we can about these animals, and it's been a fun week for me, especially going back and forth with my wife, who used to take care of some of these animals at the and zoo. I, and that's interesting, Chris, yeah. because I was going back and forth with my husband John, who was a carnivore keeper, right, and worked with carnivores a lot at the zoo, and I I pride myself on being a hoof and horns type lady, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I learned a lot about these guys mm-hmm. and have, um, not that I didn't have respect for them before, but I, I, I now want to go take care of them or learn more yeah. about them yeah, or see them in the wild. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're quite beautiful animals and I've been blessed enough to go to Africa right. twice and mm-hmm. been on a couple different safaris in Tanzania and in uh, Z- Zambia. And I have, I've seen four of the big five, but mm-hmm. I, that leopard leopard's is, tough to see yeah. is so elusive they are so yeah they're uh, still a mystery to me but i got to learn a lot about them and now i really want to get back to africa and, uh, and try to find one mm-hmm, for yeah sure. they are they are elusive cat and it's really interesting growing up you know I, I haven't seen a lot of leopards at zoos and maybe they're not as charismatic you know we use that yeah. term a lot everybody thinks lion or tiger mm-hmm. they, or jags mm-hmm. you know you even see jaguars because they're a little bit bigger uh, than i've seen than leopards but I remember the first time I saw a leopard, and I was like, man, they're kind of small, because on the TV, you know, they look big, and they're not as big, I guess, as I thought they were. They're still pretty big cats, but not huge, like a lion. Right. They don't mm-hmm. have that, that that super impressive size you're going to see with a tiger. Right. Right. And I, I, I thought a leopard would be like a smaller tiger, but it's actually not. It's actually a little bit smaller than, than that, but still big, successful cats. And I think, in my opinion, next to domestic cats, because we'll get into that in this podcast, I think leopards are probably the, one of the most successful predators on Earth. Yes, they're very opportunistic, and they can adapt easily, and their prey can range anything from crabs mm-hmm. to baby giraffes. Yeah, baby giraffes. Uh, yeah, we'll get into that in, in, in what they like to eat. The, the leopards belong to what we call felids, and that's a term that kind of applies, or feline applies to all cats. And there's generally eight big groups of cats and the leopards belong to the big group, the big cats, where you have the lions, tigers, jags, leopards, and then the different types of leopards. 
There's the general leopard, which we're going to really get into today, really focus on. Then there's separate species of snow leopard, which are a little distant related to the leopard, and then clouded leopard, which is completely different species. The lineages of, of cats, I think, is, is good to go over in this podcast because I, I guarantee we're going to talk about lions at some point, I hope. Oh, we'll for sure yeah. we'll talk about lions. I love lions. I mean, they're, oh, I'll never forget the first time I, I was like two feet away from a male lion, uh, Leroy, at a, at a rescue zoo, and his head was huge. Did like, he have a full mane? No, actually, he was he was castrated, which means he doesn't have his, his nuts. His testosterone. You know, right, testosterone source. So he lost his mane, but I'm not kidding you. His head was enormous. It was like at least, I would say, four feet wide. Oh, like yeah. I was like, holy smokes. Big boys, for yeah, sure. They are in his paws, like just as big as my chest. It was huge. They, they Very, very impressive. So, yeah, we're going to talk about other cats eventually. Well, and yeah. if you can't relate to necessarily a, a lion encounter, you can probably uh, relate to your own kitty at home. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I have two little lions at home myself. Yeah. I've got two outside that are... They were screaming at me this morning for forgetting to feed them. So when I drove up, they both ran out to my car like dogs. But I think going over cat evolution quickly, we'll, we'll make it understand. And then in future podcasts, we can just refer back to, hey, if you want to know more, listen to the, the beginning part of the leopard podcast. The They can trace cat evolution to one sp- particular species of modern felids or modern cats. And that's this cat called Suda elurus. No, no, I'm good no, that's one of your better ones. <laughs> Don't ask me to say. It. I could say cat, dog, the boy, girl, and I won't a, ask you to say it again. Either. Yeah, no, okay. Suda L U Russ. Okay, this thing lived probably you know between nine to twenty million years ago in Asia, and probably like the size of a of a current leopard. Actually, not it's not really huge, big. not really huge, but not small. And this is the modern of the the distant relative of modern cats. Now, there are other lineages of cats that have died out. I think the saber-toothed cat is probably the most popular ancient cat. They actually had relatives that, that dated back like 35, 40 million years ago wow, when okay. we saw the rise of, of a lot of mammals. mammals. Right. When we talked, you know, and it seems like, what were we on, episode five, six now? It seems with each mammal, elephants, rhinos, uh, other things we talk about around 40 to 50 million years ago is when we had this huge explosion of, the of mammals. Right. After the the last fifth mass extinction, when dinosaurs finally went out, so that's that's the one we can trace back to now with them. And then they have some really cool relatives that went extinct. So I just related to leopards, lions, and everything. And one of them I, I read about was called the giant cheetah, and they're about the size of a modern lion. Oh wow! Could you imagine that thing chasing you down no. as fast as they are? They think the giant cheetah is not as quite as fast. As, Maybe because of its size. Right, a little bit bigger, but probably pretty fast. Uh, fa- <laughs> it can outrun you. Yes, That's... a giant cheetah. And uh, again, luckily we've we've dealt with some cheetahs or, or been seen cheetahs at the conservation center we work with here in mm-hmm. Florida, where they're actually the number one cheetah breeder in the world. And they do they have like thirty five to forty breeding pairs. They have a large amount, and yeah. uh, they have a very good uh, successful. Regimen that they right. they do because uh, cheetahs can be very hard to breed in, very, in a captive very hard, setting. Yeah. yeah, and inbred, right? They're also very mm-hmm. highly inbred because of uh, the problems with them. There's nothing cuter on earth than a baby cheetah. I I know baby animals are adorable. I don't know. I agree halfway. Uh, I think a baby clouded leopard. Okay, well, a baby might. cat maybe is a kitten. Yeah. I mean, puppies are awesome too, and you love puppies and baby wolves, but. 
those baby cheetahs with that crazy hair. Yeah, and they do have wild Einstein hair. Right, and uh, you know we were going around on that private tour that one time, and we saw the uh, the litter of like eight. Yeah, and the noises they make too oh, are just yeah. melt your heart. Yeah, yeah, cheetahs are just they're amazing. Anyways, the giant cheetah, thankfully for us, uh, went extinct about ten thousand years ago, and they lived in Europe and Asia, and so they were a distant relative. And then, like some of the other cats, there was a giant jaguar. Again, the size of a, a modern lion or tiger lived in North and South America. They went extinct about 11,000 years ago. One of the more popular ones that people probably could relate to or have heard about is the cave lion in Europe. And this lived in Europe, Asia, and North America. Is it like a mountain lion? Or? No, it's like a modern, a modern lion. African lion. Right. Wow, These okay. things were huge. They were actually bigger than typical lions today, up to eight, 900 pounds. It's a small horse. Size, yeah, big, strong. The cave paintings that we kind of referred to a couple episodes ago with the rhinos, they have cave paintings of these cave lions in Europe. So, you know, where there wasn't, you know, not African lions, but these these cave lions. And so they went extinct during the last Ice Age too, around 11,000 years ago. The one that I found, this one was probably the, the coolest. And it is Machair Otis. Okay, that's a big word. Yeah, you did a nice job on that. <laughs> I'm breaking these Pretty down. Pretty good for a Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Machair Otis Caber is the name of this cat. It was the size of a horse, and it was like a saber-toothed cat. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I wouldn't want to come across that. Yeah, could you imagine walking by like our window right now and like the shoulder? I'm staring at the shoulder. How of this big cat. would its mouth and head be? Uh, it's big as this table. I don't know. <laughs> it's huge. Oh, wow. So this is they. They have had found lots of fossil evidence of this cat so so very very big lived in europe asia africa north america again that that frozen period ice age period where you had the land bridge so these animals were able to migrate and follow herds and things luckily specifically luckily for us they died out about five million years ago so long gone the saber-toothed cat was more you know smaller kind of like a jaguar size is that the yeah or you say it Simladon. Yeah, that one. Okay. I yeah. might have made that up, but i that's how I pronounce it to my four-year-old when we <laughs> okay. read Ice Age mammal books okay. that he's madly in love with. That one, that's what people think about. That Those are those were much smaller. Well, and that's what I, that's why I was surprised to hear about this big one, this giant horse-like right. saber-tooth one you were talking about, because the Ice Age, at least books for kids and whatnot, always bring up the Simladon. Right. And, and. Yeah, I mean, think about the Ice Age 10,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. This was 5 million years ago. So long time ago when these guys existed. So they're long gone. Long gone. Just huge, huge cats. Now, but so cool. Yeah, I know. It's awesome. Like That's why this evolution stuff is fun to talk about. Because you, you think about the history. I guess when it gets to the conservation part too. Not, you know, like last podcast you were talking about being doom and gloom. And I don't want to be all doom and gloom. No, no. That's not why we're here. Yeah, no, we want to you know spread knowledge. But it makes you so sad when you think it took 40, 50 million years to make this animal to get to this point, And then, bam, they're gone. In a matter of a couple hundred years. Yeah, they're basically the industrial and technology age. It's just done. They're done. Yeah, that's sad. That, that makes me sad. Anyways, but we're not going to let that happen. Yeah, no. That's why we're fighting. Or at that's least we're, we're going to try to not let yeah. that happen. Now, back to our favorite mitochondrial DNA analysis. All right, wake me up when no, it's over. No, just, that's, that's all is, I'm saying about it. Remember, it is Friday. It so is. my brain is on Friday mode. <laughs> We have used that to look at these lineages of cats. Okay. So that's why we kind of talked about it with the elephants, that it's a powerful tool, a genetic tool that we can look at different lines. 
So cats today are, are, you know, like I said, they're broken out in these eight families, but 37 distinct species. And of course, there's always subspecies within a major species. But the eight lineages of cats, uh, the big one's Panthera, and that's the one we're going to talk about today. And that's what leopard falls under. Right. You have the the leopard, the snow leopard, the clouded leopard, all three s- separate species, tiger, lion, and jaguar. And puma, right? Cougar. So they, they fall into that. The other lineages, there's the bay cat, which you know is a separate species in Southeast Asia. The caracal. So ah, we know about the caracal. So that's I, a separate species of African. Much smaller, big right. ears. Mm-hmm. I believe I, I did see a caracal right. mm-hmm. yeah, in, uh, in Tanzania. Oh, you did? Oh, out in the wild. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, you think about how they survive again. Oh, it's just crazy. Anyways, that's not what this show's about. It's the leopards. Same thing. Uh, ocelot. So south south and central. Used, maybe used to be in North America, but no, no longer. They're no longer up here. The lynx, which is what we always forget about. That's yeah. a North American. Right. We should probably do an episode on lynx because I don't know a lot about them and, and probably people don't. We don't even think about it. Well, I think once again, they're very elusive mm-hmm. and, you know, you don't really, yeah, you don't really hear much about them. Right. But I mean, it's up the coast, or the, right? Or and the bobcat too. Yeah, the bobcat. Uh, the puma, right? We talked about that. The Asian leopard cat and then our favorite domestic cat, you know, its own little lineages of little turds <laughs> gotta love them though turds that we love, yeah, love that, them. that are, don't love us back they don't they're they're so smart they're the smartest predator on earth and they laugh about it yeah i mean we feed them we give them water every day and then they just uh, anyways little, little turds we love them so angie these what's really interesting about this panthera family of big cats is that all of them can roar except the cloud leopard well what vocalization does the cloud leopard make i i think it's called chuffing Ah, tigers also chuff yeah. when, when they like you. I, I've heard some tiger sounds. They're amazing when you're up close to them. Would you like to hear my uh, demonstration? <laughs> Please do. That I do for uh, Xander. And I learned it from my husband, yes. too, just so you know. <laughs> These are things we practice at home. Yes, with kids. Okay. So I don't know if this definitely represents a clouded leopard or a regular leopard, but it definitely will represent a... A tiger. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's hear it. <sighs> <sighs> <laughs> don't make me laugh. <laughs> I don't even want to know where you make those sounds. No, okay, okay. You're, you're lying about your kids. I okay, I'm trying one more time. So here's my best attempt. Don't make me laugh. <laughs> and the even funnier thing is, is my son, Xander, who had to grow up with two animal lovers, most kids would say, oh, a tiger or you know, a lion roars. Right. No. No, he knows how a tiger chuffs. Right. And a lion roar, mm-hmm. we do allow that in our family. That's tech, that's tech, technically, technically true. okay. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, so he funny. doesn't stand a chance. They don't stand a chance. No. I know. I know. It's like our two boys. I'm like, you guys don't stand a chance with, with education. <laughs> I'm going to feel bad for them. Uh, that was great. That was awesome. All right. So you know, looking specifically now, just get more into the leopard. You know, that was kind of a big broad overview of cats, panthera, getting into that lineages. The line splits about six and a half million years ago, and that's where the clouded leopard kind of takes off on its own. And so they are their separate genus. They're the same family, but separate genus of clouded leopards. So they're not really a leopard per se. We call them leopards, but they're actually their own cat. So technically we can do a whole new episode just on clouded leopards. And, but I probably, think that's a brilliant idea, yeah. Chris. I mean, we'll be doing this forever, like for the next 50 years, because we have so many animals to cover, which is great. The snow leopard, 
branched off about 3.8 million years ago with the tiger. So I didn't know this. I didn't know this. Yeah. The tiger and snow leopard are actually very closely related. So you mean that... Okay. So the... The cloud leopard totally by themselves. But the snow leopard is close, more closely related to the tiger than it is to, say, the... Regular leopard. Yeah. The African leopard. Yep. Completely. And about three million years ago is when the snow leopard branched off from tigers. And then if you go to modern day or leopards from Asia and Africa, what we think of just the general leopards, they split with lions about 2.8 million years ago. Okay. The focus of today's show is the general leopard, but we'll, you know, I've got some data on snow leopards and clouded leopards because I think they're they're all cool, and then we can just kind of, you know, if we want to do a, a separate episode in the future on on specifically say snow leopards or clouded leopards, we can. Right, and, and I was kind of fascinated to learn that of the leopards in Asia and Africa, there's like nine, mm-hmm. eight or nine or ten, basically subspecies. Right. There is, there is, and we'll kind of go through them a little bit. The the cool thing, like I said, I think the leopards are probably one of the most widely adapted cats or predators. They live in all sorts of environments, mountains, uh, jungles, near beaches like me. They live outside big cities, urban areas. Cold, hot. Right, and they've adapted well. And when we get into dietary stuff, we talk about you know how well they are. Now I say that the domestic cat is probably the top predator in the world. <laughs> yes, it. they have us all wrapped around their little they do. paw. They're, they're and, then they, and then they bite us. Yeah, and then, I know. I'm like, I'm petting <laughs> them, and I'm like, and he turns and, and sinks his teeth in me. I'm like, what are you doing, you little turd? Uh, I'm like, why? So I love smart. you, and I scratch you, and oh, you got to love them. Anyways, but yeah, cats are, are very well adapted, and the, the leopards are definitely uh, one of the best. Now, of the nine subspecies of, of leopard, there are a bunch. They're, the one that most people are aware of or most, I guess, can associate with is the African leopard. Sure, that's what I went on. I mean, I imagine I could go on a safari or a trek in parts of India and Asia and look for leopards, Asian leopards, mm-hmm. but I just, what comes to my mind is the classic right. big five in Africa. Right, and I think, you know, some of it is just in the media, or not media, but TV, you of know, course. what we watch or videos mm-hmm. of. African wildlife and leopard lion conflicts and things like that, or hyenas and leopards. So that's where we see them. They're, they are everywhere. Like right. they're all the way over into North China. Cold habitat. Yeah, Korea. I mean, up in that part of the, the, the world, all the way across down to the, the southern tip of Africa. So they, they definitely are there. So the African leopard in North Africa, pretty much extinct. We'll talk a little bit about conservation status. There's a few fragmented populations, but they're done. Like the the, the animals up there. Now in Sub-Saharan Africa, they're doing okay. They're vulnerable, not great, but again, a tough species to study. The Indian leopard, again, uh, India, Nepal, Javan leopard, which is one, you know, and I was thinking about before we started recording earlier today. And all these hotspots, right? It seems like, because this one's the Javan leopard, mm-hmm. and there's less than, I think, 250. Right, and um, flashback to a few podcasts ago when we talked about the Javan rhino. Right. All also hotspots, critically right. endangered, uh, tiny, tiny population, mm-hmm. but a hotspot, like you said. Yeah, and I, I just was like, you know, why do we have, it's, it's, it's the same story everywhere. And in Java and Indonesia, I think palm oil is one of the things that, that's been making the last couple of years people are becoming more aware of. Yeah, habit, too many people in habitat fragmentation. Right. And, right. of course, illegal poaching or hunt, um, maybe not even illegal, but hunting comes in, into play too. 
But yeah, all, all those manifest mm-hmm. into uh, a huge population decline and potentially not even re- able to rebound. It made me think like I don't want to be pointing my finger at all these countries, right? No, definitely Because when not. I look back at the United States, we have been horrific. Sure, we almost, wiped, we almost wiped out the eagle. Right, the folks. eagle, the buffalo. Mm-hmm. Used to be millions, 60, 70 million buffalo roaming in the United States. Now there's... The American alligator. 20,000, right? Another one. Right. In California, where I grew up, the California state flag has a grizzly bear. You cannot find a grizzly bear. There hasn't been a grizzly bear in California in over 100 years. Right. So, you know, again, one of these things, don't you know, we've got to look at ourselves, too, what we've already done. Sure. And I think well, I think in future podcasts, we'll definitely be focusing, too, on North American species. species. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just to kind of... Compare and contrast, because a lot of these examples, there's been many mistakes made here in mm-hmm. North America, but through policy and through people doing mm-hmm. the groundwork and really looking out for these guys, a lot of them have rebounded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Endangered Species Act has been critical mm-hmm. in saving a lot of animals. I just don't want to tell them the same story, and that's a good idea that we, we maybe pick a species in North America yeah, to but be I, point my finger at the same countries in the world that, hey, right. you're all the problem. When, no, no, no. It's, it's everywhere. It is. It's global. It's, all right, so some of the other ones, there's the Arabian leopard, so the sporadic throughout uh, the Middle East and Southwest Asia. The Anatolian leopard, again, Southwest Asia, Turkey, and kind of the Caucasus region, Southern Russia. The North Chinese leopard, Indo-Chinese leopard, which is more Vietnam, Thailand. The Sri Lankan leopard is one that they think might be extinct. They don't know. I've heard, I've seen estimates up to 250 animals. Again, a smaller, isolated, which again, like this, the elephants and... Sri Lanka, this isolated island or landmass that these animals went to, you know, millions of years ago or probably thousands of years ago and then got isolated on there. And so they're getting wiped out. And then the last one that some people might be aware of, it's you, you, if you're fortunate to see them in zoos, but that's the Amir leopard. Mm-hmm. And this is the one that's the most endangered of any leopard species. So far eastern Russia, northern China used to be in Korea, no longer. There's only 60 in the wild. Oh, right. that's so sad. Now, with 60 in the wild, that means pretty much they're heading towards extinction in the wild. I know yeah, those China are... and Mongolia and, and maybe parts of Russia are really trying hard with conservation of certain species. So, you know, they they may be working with some of the local people to keep them, but it looks like they're, they're on their way out. Right. I mean, the, potentially the numbers are there, but... I mean, if a disease came through, it could easily wipe them out. Yeah, or... 60, and, and then you talk about genetic diversity and things. Yeah. So the good thing for this species is the Amir leopard, the subspecies of leopard, is there's 200 in captivity. And I think this is a good point to bring this up, especially in, in, in you know, we're going on to episodes 5, 6, 7 as, as we keep building this podcast. And let's talk a little bit about what zoos do do with conservation, because the they research, do, Chris, they do more than doo doo. I know. <laughs> you're <laughs> doing a lot of doo doo. Hey, if we're talking about zookeeping or yeah. zoos, I have to make my poop yeah. jokes. Yeah, your poop jokes. You are analyzing doo doo, aren't you? No, yeah. you're doing blood too, though. Ah, uh, yeah, more yeah. blood this yeah, time. Yeah, more blood, not 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 the poop. But I do love doo doo. Yeah, you do do. For the record, of... I will go on record anytime, anywhere saying that. <laughs> you do look at their poop quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It tells you a, little, a lot about the animal. It does. Yeah. You know, talking about conservation, and and I, again, one of the discussions that that we should be having. And, you know, hopefully when we bring in some people for interviews, we can have uh, more deeper discussions on that. Not to remiss a little bit about the leopards today. But what I did want to address is as these animals go extinct in the wild, thankfully we do have this 
reserve in captivity that we're maintaining, that we're breeding and keeping healthy and happy and alive, you know, and I know there's debates whether they're happy or not. And that's, I think the discussion we need to have with the public, but that is a huge role that zoos do accredited zoos and accredited breeding programs. Absolutely. And they take pride in what they do and they do it well. I've been lucky enough to spend over seven years in an accredited zoological institute working with a lot of, a lot of critically endangered mm-hmm. animals and breeding programs where it, animals are paired together to keep the genetic diversity and bred not for entertainment purposes and not for just for the heck of it. Mm-hmm. They're bred specifically to keep these numbers, to keep this genetic bank, this genetic reserve, and with hopes of releasing them in the wild, for instance, in the mirror leopard, that six, they could take that 60 population, add another 10 to it with a lot more genetic diversity and really help that wild mm-hmm. population explode. Mm-hmm. And, or re- I shouldn't say explode, but at least rebound. Re- at least rebound. Right. Right. There are many examples, which we'll touch more on throughout mm-hmm. these podcasts, mm-hmm. of times where accredited zoos and breeding programs, specifically what we in the industry consider the SSPs, mm-hmm. So species survival programs. Programs, right. And the the accredited zoos in North America and um, and then also in Europe will work together. Yeah, uh, in Asia. In Asia and the, the internationally. Next, right. The next species that you and I have already planned talking about is actually probably one of the best SSP survival stories that this population was done, extinct, going extinct. And then we brought them back from extinction. And now they've been reintroduced into the wild. So there's 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 many species. Last on the frogs, we were talking about the Puerto Rican frog, right? Yeah, there's and, ex- for most major uh, major classes of mammals, reptiles and amphibians, mm-hmm. there are really great examples. Now, of course, it's not across the board with mm-hmm. every leopard or every frog, mm-hmm. because it takes a lot of resources and, and a lot of time and a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, zoos, once again, they don't overbreed the animals, so they only breed as many as they can house. Mm-hmm. And so it, it is a slow process, but it at least it is there as a genetic bank that will maybe we won't have to use it someday. Right. But if we do have to use it, these animals can then be um, potentially released in the wild. And lar- with carnivores in general, reintroduction into the wa- into the wild can be a little trickier, mm-hmm. and because of their of how they hunt, and their behaviors, and their be in their behaviors that they typically learn from mom. At a very young age and in a captive setting where they might not have to hunt for their food, right? Because mm-hmm. um, they live a nice, pretty cushy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Then the little ones might not learn that. But interestingly enough, the conservation center that we work with here in Florida with the cheetahs, they, and then also uh, the Florida panther, mm-hmm. they rehabilitate those guys and will release them into the wild. And they have been working on protocols for carnivores to actually if they haven't had access to learning from mom how to hunt, to pray, mm-hmm. they have really cool uh, kind of runs where they literally train them, train them right. on how to hunt. And so this is just to like give you all very the listeners brief. out there a right. very brief description right. on the, the efforts and the passion and the hard work that a lot of these um, not only uh, zoo professionals but conservation uh, conservationists and uh, work both at their at the local level right. and then also at the international level to to save these species. Right, and that's where that's the direction you're going in your career, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Is, you know, the conservation science and and trying to do this to do to do 
right as best as we can by the animals, right. the whole being, the welfare, the physiology, mm-hmm. the conservation. Um, it's a very, very, all these issues are very, very complex. Mm-hmm. But if we don't work together, and if one side says, no, this is the right way, and the other right. side says, no, this is the right way, right. as we can <clears throat> take a look in our government, then you don't get anywhere. You don't get it, and, and the animals will suffer. And the animals you know? will be gone. And we're the animals, right? The, the people are suffering. Right, yeah. I mean, these animals will go extinct, uh-huh. so... There's not, you know, that's the thing is, uh, I definitely believe that accredited zoos are open to learning on how to do things better. And that's why they hire zoo scientists. Right, right. And I think, you know, the last few years as I've jumped into getting away from domestics and getting into exotics and doing some of this endangered species research. And I had a friend a few months ago talk to me about zoos and he found out that I was doing elephant research and he was telling me about how we went to the zoo and he just felt so bad for the elephants in captivity. And I didn't get mad. I'm definitely not defensive. Like it's a discussion I wanted to have with him. And it's a very realistic opinion that that many people have and that I had even years and years and years ago when I was probably like a teenager or Mm -hmm. something. Uh, but it wasn't until I was actually in a zoological yeah. work, working in a zoological institute, along all the conservationists, mm-hmm. the nutritionists, the uh, the scientists, mm-hmm. the, the staff, the keeper staff, mm-hmm. the volunteers, and then of course, knowing how we partnered with other, other zoos, right. both nationally and internationally, right. and scientists, and to see the cooperative efforts, and yeah, does every do we always make the right steps? No, but we're they're trying to learn and get right. better, and. It, all helps the conservation, the animals right, that's the at the zoo, line, but right. then also... The- I think that's the most... I mean, it's not so much, hey, you know, connecting people to animals, which is important, Sure, I think. And education is very important. Very important. I think. The conservation is critical. Sure. It is. It's not what I think it is. It is very important. And without zoos, there would be fewer species. Sure. And zoos are some of the largest contributors to, to a lot of these conservation mm-hmm. uh, programs. The one we mentioned at each end of the podcast... I can guarantee you most zoological mm. institutions donate money and support these wildlife. $60 million last year is what they've donated to research. And I don't know the number off the top of my I think it was roughly that the AZA did. Yeah, we can put it. That's just in America. We can put a, there's some nice graphics. We can yeah, put them in the show on, notes. Yep, on the, the show notes. notes. And, uh, because, yeah, it's, it's quite impressive. Right. Okay. Well, I don't want to, you know, again, this is a discussion that I think we need to have with people. And people need to give us feedback. Like, hey, tell us. What Please. Are, yeah. I mean, go to an accredited zoo. You know, I grew up going to San Diego Zoo. Go to there and say, hey, I saw this. What does that mean? And why is it this way? And the AZA is very strict. You know, working with people within the industry, working with other scientists. And I know a couple of zoos have gotten shut down, gotten in big trouble for having the animal. Really, animal welfare is the big concern right now. And as it should be. So anyways, let's get back to leopards. It's again, I wanted to bring that up because I think zoos are going to save the Amir leopard. I yes. think, you know, throughout the world, they are the only hope. They're the only hope for that, for them. I think other than that, they're, they're done. Unlike the Northern white rhino, which I think is done. There's nothing we can do. There's only three. Now the snow leopard, I, I just talk a little bit about snow leopards and clouded leopards since they are separate, but I love snow leopards, Andy. I love them. I mean, I told you, I think that they're the one of the cutest little yeah. cubs there uh, are. They are. They, I think they're the, the most beautiful cat in the world. I They're stunning. Right. And it, I guess going back to the zoo thing, and I I don't work for a zoo. I've, I have, haven't been ever paid by a zoo. Uh, I mean, I taught at the, the local zoo for a while because I'm so passionate about, about this stuff. It's just 
I was fortunate when I was dating my wife and she was working as a zookeeper and I got to work with the snow leopards and get to scratch them through because the kids, we teach them to come up to the, the cage wire, present their shoulders for shots and things like that. And you could scratch them. And I just was like, Oh my God, they're amazing. They're so beautiful. They, um, love them, love them, love them. They live in Mongolia, China, Nepal, Pakistan, Afghanistan. So we'll, we'll touch a little bit about that. And then the other one was the clouded leopard. Again, why I love the clouded leopards is a quick story about me and Ashley, my wife. I actually proposed to her in the clouded leopard service area. Oh, stop. I didn't know that. (laughs) So I, uh, had her friend sneak me into the zoo. Her favorite animals were the clouded leopards. Her favorite animal's name was Max. He was a a big, sweet little boy with big canines. So if you don't know, the clouded leopard has the largest canine teeth to skull ratio of any animal on earth. I did not know that. They're they're like the true last saber-toothed cat, even though they're not sabers, but they're huge canine teeth. Anyways, I got let in the service area, and then they're like, they called over the radio that she needed to come to Max's service area. And she came in, and I'm there, and I'm like, hey. It was kind of, you know, it was great, though. Oh, I that's got her so the knee cute. in the area and proposed to her. And then that night we went and had a big barbecue with her family and stuff. But, yeah, Max was, like, her love. And it was funny when we were dealing with Katrina and all those hurricanes in, in that part of the United States. And she was like, if I have to evacuate, I'm just going to throw Max in the back of my car. Because, like, he was the sweetest <laughs> cat. Aww. Probably would have scratched the hell out of her. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. This is all, remind you all, all this to Ryan our listeners. Yeah, these are not This is pets. all, yeah, this is all through protected contact right. that they're doing. We're behind um, fences and strong mm-hmm. things. I mean, even scratching a snow leopard was because he presented his shoulder and I could sure. scratch him really quick. But Yeah, which are, those are behaviors that they're trained to do to uh, benefit their, right. usually their. And probably would have got her fired medical. if they knew I was doing that. But anyways, <laughs> uh, here we are years later. Well, no, but if it gets, that's the thing. If it lights a fire and gets you passionate, that's, I I mean, I have mm-hmm. very similar stories about rhinos and mm-hmm. zebras and all that. And yes, the 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 understanding of their personality, and that's a, a thing we've talked about even with the frogs. Mm-hmm. The frogs I worked with had personality, right? That's and crazy. obviously, Max. I mean, yeah, he sounds he like was great, a charmer. I mean, honestly, that's, it was probably our first love. Yeah, and you were second. Yeah, and that's okay. That's okay. It's fine. <laughs> she loves Max. You know, he uh, they were beautiful though. They their their coats look like clouds. That's why they're called the clouded leopard. Now, let's go back to just the general leopard, the African and the Asian uh, subspecies. So, widest range of any cat. Yeah, they're like all over. Said, yeah, they've Africa to Asia. they all over the place. Strictly solitary. So, these do not live in pairs or groups, except when they're, you're young. Sure, you're obviously you stay, mom. With, stay with mama. Mom with the babies. Mom teaches them how to hunt. They, about 26% of the range, they have very large ranges. So, anywhere from on average is about 180 square kilometers or Seventy square miles. That's what I was reading. It's huge. Yeah, that's a yeah, lot. That's huge. That's huge. Which unfortunately, there's a lot of people around right. or habitat right. fragmentation. That's it gets harder. Like we talked about, you know, putting the fences up and say, "Here's your range," right. and that's not their natural range. No, and then they're forced to smaller, do something different, yeah. be smaller, or potentially or off, yeah. potentially go into public areas yeah. or whatnot. Or yeah, or fight to or the death fight. with mm-hmm. with them or other carnivores. Some ranges are up to a thousand kilometers, or what is that, like four hundred square miles? Wow. Yeah, some depending on you know the the region, but that's huge. So again, prey abundance is going to affect that rainfall habitat, like we're talking about in Africa when you're you're putting up these fence lines and saying this is it, this is where you you live now. Right. And that's why I think we're seeing a lot of problems with them. And it's also a trickle down effect or trickle up, however we look at it, where since they are large predators and they prey on smaller 
antelopes and uh, rodents and mm-hmm. whatnot, as those populations are in decline, right. certain ones, then that's going to have a you know trickle exactly. up effect on these leopards. And that's what I, you know, especially when we're getting to conservation, talking about the reduction in prey has a direct correlation with the reduction in predator. You know, it's it's nature and balance. There's not enough to eat, so they starve to death or don't breed and die out. Right. Right. So that's what we're seeing. That's why I think we're seeing a large reduction in in leopard populations with that. What are some of the things with history and humans? What did you you find? Well, kind of uh, what we had touched on earlier is they are iconic because they're beautiful and uh, their coats. They're also elusive. But, I mean, since the beginning of documented time, Mm. like you said, with the cave art and whatnot, we've seen a relationship of leopards and humans. And whether it's in art or mythology, folklore, just storytelling, everywhere across Asia and Africa, from ancient Greece to Persia to Mm. Rome. And a lot of cultures, they they symbolize power and and being a king because Mm -hmm. they're considered Mm -hmm. the king of the forest or the Mm -hmm. jungle Mm -hmm. or wherever they live. And then interestingly enough, there's historic documentation in Egypt and in England mm. of having leopards as pets yeah, and domestication, mm. which I, <laughs> I frown upon, no, yeah, I for wouldn't, sure. uh, but I'm sure, you know, that they were maybe able to do it. And it's probably a symbol of power. Mm-hmm. And especially during some of these cultures that had the Kings and the rulers. Just to jump in real quick. I know seeing that happen in the middle East today as you know, obviously there's a lot of wealth there. Mm-hmm. It's not leopards, but cheetahs. And that's a big problem is going out and killing the mom, getting the cubs. This is probably what they did. And then hand raise the cubs. Because we know the the conservation that we work with, they have a couple of handable cheetahs that have been sure. hand raised. Mm-hmm. So people are keeping cheetahs as pets, which is horrible. Horrible. Because cheetahs are like on their way out. They're, they're heading towards extinction. Yeah. Now you're just going out for... Oh, it makes me so angry. It makes me so angry because a cheetah should not be a pet. Yeah, nor should a leopard. Right. And, but you don't. You're right. You don't really see leopards as much as. Um, and we'll in a different podcast on a different mm-hmm. day. We'll talk a little bit more about um, the somewhat the pet trade and mm-hmm. how there are more tigers in Texas in the mm-hmm. state of Texas mm-hmm. as pets, not in zoos as pets. So who knows what kind of care they're under mm-hmm. than there are. Uh, in Asia. Right. So more more tigers in Texas. Granted, it's a big state. Still. <laughs> than in Asia. And not, you know, and, and, then, and talk about their genetics being messed up. Ugh, yeah, horrible. A lot of and, and stuff. And, you know, and it's typical to a lot of the pet trade where, and of course this is the exotic pet trade, but it even happens with domestics where you get this cute little cuddly little thing and it's furry and it's adorable and then it gets big and annoying and... We'll we have do- we have dogs that get big and annoying, and people dump them and get right. rid of them. A big cat, a three or four hundred pound cat, mm-hmm, or like a chimpanzee mm-hmm. or whatever goofy pet people think they want, exotic animal they think they want. Then, yeah, then they, anyways, they end up in sanctuaries, yeah. and they, and they're overflowing, and they're and the sanctuaries are yeah. overflowing. They don't have enough resources, enough mm-hmm. time. So back to money. Yeah, I don't think we see that as much uh, with the leopard, probably because just in general they are that much more elusive mm-hmm. uh, to capture and whatnot. But historically, yeah, they were. There has been documentation of them as pets. And then if you fast forward to more of the modern day, we see leopard obviously as a symbol, once again, of beauty and power Mm -hmm. and grace and agility. Sometimes it's team mascots. Mm -hmm. And then in Africa, especially with the ecotourism, the leopard is one of the big five. Right. And, And also in Asia, it's a really highly sought after animal for tours. 
can be very hard to see because it is mostly nocturnal, but people, I mean, because they're so beautiful, people really want to see them. And that's ecotourism has helped out a lot of local communities and the ecotourism when it's done right has probably helped increase right. some of their uh, wild population mm-hmm. numbers. And so that's, that's more of your feel good story. And that's what we need. Right. We, we need, need a lot more of, more of ecotourism. And I think as people get more globally conscious mm-hmm. and want to travel more, it's easier to travel. It's more affordable. And as more countries generate wealth, I guess, and you can afford to travel to Africa for, for ecotourism and stuff. I think people, you know, it, it definitely, I know for a fact, supports animal conservation. And that's oh, where we're transitioning, right? Absolutely. I mean, there's been a lot of scientific studies pinpointing that really the only, the most sustainable way to help allow these uh, critically endangered species is through ecotourism mm-hmm. and then also through educating the locals in the community mm-hmm. to give them a little bit more of kind of encouragement. Right. Yeah, of course, financially, but then also excitement and wanting to help protect these guys. Yeah, protect we, their environment, mm-hmm, right? Whether if it's from poachers or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So if the, communi- if the communities surrounding these wildlife preserves can benefit, then it's a win-win. Yeah, it's a win-win for both. It's definitely a one. So kind of some of the things about the life cycle of the leopard, and this is kind of typical for some big cats, but male leopards are called leopards, and then the females are called leopardess. Oh, leopardess. You get a little S at the end. Mm -hmm. In the wild, they live only about 12. And this is interesting to me, too, because dealing with, again, like Max and some of the other carnivores in captivity, I know in captivity they can live, you know, 16, 17. The the snow leopards I got to to mess with, they're long gone. But, you know, this is a decade ago. They were 16, 17 years old. I think uh, documented uh, somewhere is a leopard that lived... To be twenty five, right? In captive in a captive setting. So if they get their food, they're not stressed. They oh sure, free medical, free dental, all that stuff. Yeah, that no, it's a it's a pretty good gig, and mm-hmm. mo- a lot of the carnivores that were at the the zoo that I worked at were what we call considered geriatric, mm-hmm. and it was really amazing. And our zoo even did a lot of research and um, kind of uh, education about the geriatric care of. Of these cats, right, and how what the keepers and the staff do to help them be comfortable, mm-hmm. and then also what the veterinarians do to make sure that they're like you said, their their medical, their teeth, their um, just overall their care is that much more accelerated and um, and enhanced mm-hmm. as they grow old. And the zoos are committed, unlike a lot of the exotic pet owners, mm-hmm. zoos are that much more are committed to taking care of them as right. they live well beyond their reproductive Yeah, and you lifespan. say you know, they have their own nutritionist, they have their own doctor. They, oh, yeah. They, yes. Their own keeper the, 24-7. Their own endocrinologist. So, right. That's the job I want. Yeah, I know. I do an endocrinology. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's interesting that in captivity, they doesn't mean there's, there's not issues with the captivity. And, again, that's why I think we need to have this discussion, especially with the public, what are concerns and, and why people feel the way they do because that's where we need we, we need to address that. But that these animals do live very hard lives in the wild. Oh, sure. They're, you know, full of, of worms and insects and yeah. mites and ticks. And they're really, they live a hard life. Well, and you're not going to probably see it with the leopard because, once again, mm-hmm. they're nocturnal. And mm-hmm. so pictures of them during the day, they're coming down with, um, they're either hunting because mm-hmm. they have to or they're at a watering hole. But animals that are out in the African sun and really, really hard lives are lions. Right. So any mm-hmm. picture that has not been photo- 
photogenic photoshopped, photoshopped yeah. or enhanced is going to show that line or lioness with about a thousand flies mm-hmm. and Lord knows what, bitten up bloody right. ears, flies in their eyes. Uh, and yeah, and it's, it's just, a tough it's, yeah, it's tough. And it's that's just how they know how to, you know, they, they, they try to seek out shade mm-hmm. and they groom themselves and whatnot. But it is, there's a lot of hardships in the wild. Right. And so. And that's why they don't live as long. And that's yeah. why they don't live yeah. as long. One of the many right. reasons. Yeah. So they their their life cycle, you know, and you'll probably get into this with repro, you know, two to four years when they're after they're born is when they're ready to breed, right? Mm-hmm. And they're with mom, but for about almost two years, about two, two years, years. Yeah, yeah, one to two years with mom, and then again they live to about twelve in the wild. As far as the different subspecies of leopard, no big differences. Some differences in size and maybe a little skull shapes, a little bit different. You know, especially the uh, Arabian leopard versus, say, the Javan leopard or something like that. But again, generally, all pretty much look similar. They all stand about 28 inches or, you know, two and a half feet at the shoulder or 70 centimeters. Going back to my, my metric. Good job. <laughs> they can be as long as 75 inches or 100 centimeters or almost as long as I am tall. Okay. You know, six, six foot three is what 75 is. Including their tail? Yeah, that's from head to tail. Pretty long. They weigh about 200 pounds, or the largest males weigh about that. You know, Females are going to be less. Yeah, about 150 to 200 pounds. So pretty big size. Again, mm-hmm. a little less than me. Bigger than you. Much bigger than you. Thank you, Chris. Yes. Much, much, much Three, two much of Angie <laughs> equals one leopard. You heard put, it here first, folks. Put that on record. <laughs> <laughs> and the snow leopards are smaller, a little bit smaller than general leopards. And then the clouded leopards are the smallest of the, of the three. And they're about a medium sized dog or about 50 pounds. And now are all their leopard spots different? They, okay. So the snow leopards and the leopards have what's called rosettes. Mm -hmm. And then the clouded leopards have like that clouded pattern. Mm -hmm. The, the rosettes, when you look at the, the cat, the, the carnivore cats or the, the large cat patterns, you see in jags and leopards, the jags have little spots in between. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's the difference between them and a, and a leopard. And basically what the rosettes are, or what they think genetically, or what they've shown, is... So cheetahs have flecks. Spots. Spots, right? So they have these dark... They call them flecks. Spots throughout their body. The leopard and jags, they actually have flecks that just got lighter in the middle. Oh, And kept that outer shape. So, yeah. Okay. So that's that's the difference. Obviously, tigers have stripes, mm-hmm. and then the lions just have a, a plain yellow coat. And what's the benefit of this gorgeous coat pattern? Oh, easily camouflage. Yeah. So to to hunt and you know we'll, we'll don't. So that's that. why I can't see them on safari. Oh yeah, I mean they're tough. Yeah. I mean you know you you think about the desert or the desert the uh, the middle of a forest and the light patterns and, they're and in a stuff. tree. Right, and you can't see them. I yeah. mean, you wouldn't even know if they were behind you and then they jump on you. Ah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um but yeah, what's some some cat behaviors? Okay, my favorite section mm-hmm. of all behavior. Uh well, we talked a little bit about their nutrition, how they're opportunistic hunters. But they also you might be fascinated to learn. I know I was that they're really great swimmers. Mm. And that's what um, that's what they'll right. they'll, they'll even go for fish or crabs if they have to, yeah. which we all think, ooh, cats hate cats water. Cats hate water. I yeah. know mine does. Right. So, and rather they rather they like it or don't like it, they use it as a tool mm-hmm. be- because once again they're so they're so opportunistic and so able to adapt to whatever setting they're in. And 
They're not as fast as a cheetah, but they can run up to about 36 miles per hour. Yeah, it's pretty fast. Or for you, Chris. What's okay? Oh, Quick geez. quiz. No, no calculator. 36 <laughs> miles per hour. <laughs> I wrote this down. Let me see. Uh, just double 8 it. 8 million kilometers. Just, no, just double it and then right? subtract yeah, I was, was going to say bit. it's like 70 kilometers per hour. Is that... 58. Oh, I'm way off. I mean, it's What's okay. What's a kilometer to a mile? I got to oh, learn this. Yeah. I'll learn this. That's okay. There's time for that. Ask me in a year. In there a year, I will have it nailed. There you go. Yeah, right. There you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, they're solitary unless it's mom and cubs. However, interestingly enough, the males, there's more studies of them now mm-hmm. than there ever has been because of the awesome technology mm-hmm. of radio collaring and then also photo, uh, mm-hmm. photo ID traps. Mm-hmm. Because of them being nocturnal... A lot of these populations that Chris and I are talking about today that obviously are critically endangered or vulnerable, they're pretty good guesses, mm-hmm. but they're not even as accurate with, as a lot of other species are because they're so elusive and they're so hard to count, because them being nocturnal and also they don't want to be near humans either. Mm-hmm. Through the help of using radio collars and and these photo traps, they've, they've learned a lot more about them. And once again, these animals keep blowing our minds mm-hmm. or our human Learning hypothesis stuff, yeah. hy- or human hypotheses of what we think where the, the male can has been documented helping the female a little bit and mm-hmm. the cubs mm-hmm. not not all species but yeah. there has been some oh, of that behavior cool, recorded usually you think I, I mean i know with lions and this is one of the, the worst things i know when i i think i saw one of the first documentaries ever to document this but when a male takes over a pride, he kills all the cubs. Sure. Which is just horrifying. Sad, yeah. But it is his purpose is my genes, it's my genetics, and it will yeah. bring the the girls into estrus mm-hmm. or for breeding. They'll want to mm-hmm. breed quicker than lactation and, and raising the, the cubs. So they've actually seen this patricide happen. And I just like, oh, it breaks my heart no. thinking about it. Yeah, so leopards, maybe not so much. And I'm sure mom defends them. I mean, even in bears. Like, that happens in bears or grizzly bears, right? They don't mess with the mama bear. No, never That's mess like, with mama bear. Yeah, because she will come after you. I can be a mama bear yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'll be a mama bear. <laughs> More so boys, than so. I ever thought. I was like, I oh, I, I would never be like that. Oh, but God, now no. my two boys, watch yeah, out. Yeah, yeah so like, I'll, I'll, what I can promise the podcast listeners out there, I will not be a helicopter mom. Yeah, there you go. Those are the worst. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so males may, uh, some. Uh, some studies show that they may have a oh, little cool. bit of a role, yeah. but the, it's basically the maternal uh, bond with the cub is very right. strong. And so they're not deadbeat dads, like you said last uh, week. They're right? not deadbeat dads. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, kind of deadbeat dads. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they're like a they're like a step Drop up. some meat off. And, yeah, maybe uh, a step up from a deadbeat dad, yeah. and like a step down from a stepdad, or something okay. somewhere okay. in between. Okay. Okay. Um, but of course, the mother's role is super right. critical, and cubs will within a as about six weeks, they start climbing trees because leopards spend a lot of time mm-hmm. in trees, as we've already touched on. And they're also notorious for their strength, which Chris touched on. But they'll drag whole carcasses right. up into the tree. Cachet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the little cubs will learn that from them. And then by three months of age, the cubs will start to learn to to assist with hunts. So mm-hmm. mom will actually take them out with them uh, and teach them what she does. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, because, you know, you've seen... We've seen quite a few documentaries on cheetahs. Disney did that movie, right? Mm-hmm. The, the big cats, which was a cool one. Like yeah, African cats. Like I highly yeah. recommended. Uh, that scene with was it five male lions at the end? I'm like, whole like I've been bl- I've never been blown away. I mean, I've always been blown away by nature documentaries, but that one 
where I saw five male lions together. And that shows some, I guess, we should do lions because that's kind of the pressures that they're under, that they're forming well, these bachelor groups that sure. take over. But anyways, there is a bunch with cheetah cubs in there and... You know, and, yeah, and the cubs, yeah. just like your kittens at home or whatever, but they wrestle all the time and they do all these super adorable things. But once again, that's all them establishing dominance mm-hmm. and learning to play fight and, and whatnot. Hunt, yeah. And there has uh, research has shown that with females, once again, they're solitary, um, except for when they're breeding, and we'll touch on that. But their territories can overlap a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, is that because territories are getting smaller or was it historically always like that? We uh, we don't know. In one park, they sh- I think it was in Africa, southern Africa, they showed where there was a pretty dense amount of leopards, mm-hmm. uh, radio collared, that they would come within a kilometer of each other. Mm-hmm. And when they, they do see each other, they may vocalize with growls or snarls, meows. They even purr. Mm-hmm. And they can roar. But they're also very well known for what's called a sawing mm-hmm. um, vocalization. Yeah, I've heard that one before. Yeah, it's, I think it's a really interesting way, but they say that this noise sounds like a saw. So if you'll bear with me okay. in my technological yeah. difficulties. <laughs> so here's a common leopard vocalization to give you a little bit of an idea of what this sawing is. <laughs> Cool. So that's yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That, that's a sawing yeah, roar, and yeah. so it's different than what we think of, you know, the king of the jungle, mm-hmm. the big roar. Mm-hmm. But it really unique sounds, and once again, the way the way they vocalize or they snarl or whatnot um, or growl is going to help communicate with one another. I like you, or I don't like right. you, and but typically there's not a huge. They're not aggressive with each other, and like you touched on a little mm-hmm. bit earlier, they they probably have more conflicts with either other big cats like mm-hmm. lions or hyenas. Than they do with each other. Right. They probably have a common language of like, okay, let's just leave each other. And that other kind alone. of gets into when I talk about the hunting behavior. If they get hurt, they die. If right. they get hurt back because they can't hunt, right? They die. Yeah. yeah. And so, if two males, even in a breeding situation, if they're fighting over a female or whatnot or a territory, usually one of them is going to retreat before, mm-hmm. like you said, they get this horrible injury that they'll they'll die from. Yeah, they will kill them. And so other than that, the cubs make a little bit of a different sound, which it's, uh, it's like a, Mm -hmm. so I don't know if that's, (laughs) maybe that's an outtake, but I got to work on that one. Uh, but it's it's definitely a cute, a cute little sound. So, um, but then rolling into a little bit about their reproductive behavior, Mm -hmm. um, a male, Mm -hmm. he might be a deadbeat or not so deadbeat dad. But he goes to great lengths to court mm-hmm, to travel after his uh, after his female, kind of like you going into uh, the the Max's zoo- service area. Yeah, the service yeah. area to, area to uh, <laughs> court Ashley. Jumping, yeah, to jump through all those hoops to court her. Uh, and so that's been documented. Mm-hmm. They will they will to meet with a female, and they do fight each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once again, it's not super aggressive. And when they do find the love of their life, they will only pair for a couple days mm-hmm. typically. Unless maybe once the cubs are born, we might see that male come back into it. And as throughout these days when they're courting each other, they'll sometimes even hunt in teams. Oh, wow. And they share their their, their, their yeah. catch as a reward, which I think is really interesting. Huh. And, of course, over these days, they, they mate multiple times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that gets into a little bit of, I mean, 
mating multiple times, people are like, oh, they just like to have fun. No. And perhaps yeah. they yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> but with typically with the felines, mm. the, they actually, the female needs to be bred or mate a few times because she's what's known as an induced ovulator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's just a fancy lingo for she doesn't release an egg. Like women, we right. release our egg once a month, a month regardless right. of, you know, as long Mating as we're ever, uh, as long as long, you know, after puberty. Yeah. Typically cats are going to only, a lot of cat species, not all of them, but a lot of them are going to only release an egg after the physical stimulation of an, uh, of mating. Of mating. Right. And, but so with that being said, female leopards don't have a seasonality. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit, they think maybe in snow leopards, probably because of the cold, right. cold weather. But in general, they're, the male will find a female that's an estrus. So they have estrus where they're giving off signs to the male and their, and their urine of like, hey, I am ready. Yeah, that's behavioral. Behavioral, they rub. Right. I, I'm sure if anybody's ever seen a female cat that wasn't spayed when she should have yeah. been spayed, please spay and neuter yes, your pets. Yes, please, yes. Like, sorry to be the prices right no, here. No, I know. It's so funny. <laughs> Bob Barker. But I'm dating spayed. myself, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I know. I know you're dating yourself with Bob Barker oh, there. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, but uh, so... But anyways, if we had one of those that we adopted and we were told she was spayed and she wasn't spayed and, you know, and I, one day I'm like, is she, is she dying? Because she sounds like she's dying right now. And then, you know, I'm like, duh, Angie, uh, she, oh, the screaming and the rolling so and the, the presenting and the backing her little tushy up into anything that'll come. So the leopard, although it's, you know, it's a lot bigger than our domestic right. cat, the female will show a lot of those to tell Same the male. Signs, yeah. But once again... She can do all of that, and if there's not a male around, she's not going to ovulate. But then when she is pregnant, the pregnancy, depending on the leopard species, of course, but it varies from about 90 days to 105 days. Mm-hmm. So quick math, that's like, what, three to three to four right. months? Yeah. So not that long of yeah. gestation period yeah, compared. Pretty quick, mm-hmm. yeah. And, of course, they're a litter, just like mm-hmm. our normal domestic cats. And there's usually about two to four uh, at a time, depending on the species. They're small at birth, but they grow quickly. But another interesting fact about leopards mm. is they have a, a cub mortality rate of about 50%. Wow, yeah. So it's really tough for them to survive. Very tough for them to survive. And so that's the thing. In general, if we're talking about low numbers for some of these critically endangered, like the Javan mm-hmm. leopard, is like, oh, yes, they can probably you know, have a litter at least once or twice a year. But how many of those cubs will survive? Mm-hmm. And, and then it still takes them another two years to reach sexual maturity. Right. And so there's there's still a lot of the generational interval is still it still long. can be long and the and the infant mortality rate is 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 pretty high right. compared to other species yeah, especially other litter especially right. litter bearing species so but some of the good news and uh, I know we we spoke a little bit earlier about zoos and what they're doing for wildlife as far as acting as a genetic mm-hmm. reservoir with the SSPs but they're also not just trying to breed them naturally. Because some of these animals in captivity and in the wild mm-hmm. have these these uh, either fertility issues right. or um, infant I don't know, mortality, infant, yeah. yeah, cub mortality issues. So they've been using a lot of artificial reproductive technologies, mm-hmm. such as artificial insemination, mm-hmm. embryo transfer, mm-hmm. and they're really trying to apply it. The zoo scientists, and both uh, both in North America and in Europe, mm-hmm. internationally are trying to apply it to some of these really critically endangered sure. cat species. Right. They've been working on it in the, I'm not sure about um, the Amur. How does it Amur leopard. Yeah. I'm not sure about it in the Amur leopard, mm. but they had their first ever successful birth via artificial insemination in a clouded leopard right. in Nashville just mm-hmm. recently, like mm-hmm. this past year. Mm-hmm. 
And unfortunately, they've been trying with the snow leopard and it just, it hasn't worked out. But they're going to keep trying. And, and that's the thing that I think we need to educate people about or people should, I don't want to say should applaud zoos for doing this. It goes to show the depth, I guess they're going. It's the depth that zoos are doing. If you're not in the industry or you don't work with people in the industry, sometimes it's, it's hard to see what behind the scenes. Sure. And I know zoos are trying to be more apparent on what they're doing from our perspective because reproductive biologists and what we've done. Yeah, and a lot of our, the, mm-hmm, and a lot of the accredited zoos are now even starting to do public surveys mm-hmm. and get like data mm-hmm. on what would make visitors happy. Right. So if you are ever at your local zoo and you, there is a survey you can fill out, yeah, let it, or or a volunteer yeah. you can talk to, or a keeper you can talk to. I mean, they definitely want feedback, right? Because they, yeah, we, we got to answer these concerns. But what I, the point I was going to make was, like, especially with this AI stuff, because one of the things I know zoos are working at is just trying to reduce stress any way they can. Absolutely. And how we normally breed these animals is shipping them, right? Mm-hmm. The, that's how we exchange their genetics, let them breed naturally. Right. So basically, right. like, uh, there might be a, um, a clouded leopard in Nashville, a male, but the female that has the 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 best genetics or the furthest match for her the furthest yeah the best genetic match so the furthest relation to him might be in San Diego and San Diego right. Zoo which is very far away and so what we do is we put them on an airplane ship them which is stressful knock mm-hmm. them down put them in a container ship them to San Diego or she's shipped to Nashville and then you try to get them to breed for a few and years cross your fingers so if we have these artificial techniques we can not only really promote genetic diversity it's mm-hmm. easier to ship and I. I know the work that we're doing in elephants, that's kind of one of our end game goals is to try to figure out how to preserve the male semen or sperm or right. the male gametes so we can freeze them and ship them around the world because shipping an elephant is not easy. It's and not it's possible. So expensive. And, and there's definitely a lot right. uh, more diverse genetics in mm-hmm. European uh, zoological right. institutes and, you can't really, and conservation centers. You can't put them on an airplane. I mean, I'm sure they do ship them on You can, but, planes, but it's but like, that's, not that's an, it. And that's where it's yeah. like, we, we know that's not in the animal's best right. interest. No. And would we do it to keep that species alive? Potentially. For sure, yeah. But do we want to do it? Is that the most efficient no. way? No, no. definitely no. not. So, so there is research going on. A lot behind the scenes that, that people need to know about. Yeah, and, and I think that if you you know even get on the internet and, and look around, a, um, San Diego Global Zoo, they're mm-hmm. doing a lot of really important uh, reproductive research mm-hmm. and cryopreservation of semen and genetic banking mm-hmm. and, and trying to figure out how to help a lot of these species, right. from frogs to birds to large mammals. And I'll, I'll say it here, too, that we're going to eventually, you know, especially because we're launching official launch in a couple of weeks, we will have interviews with some of these professionals. Absolutely. And we will be doing outtakes. And then on the Patreon, we'll have the full interviews up, up there. So we're going to start scheduling those here pretty quick. And you can talk to some of these researchers that are actually doing this work. Absolutely. Because you're working with you know people from San Diego and the researchers that, again, are working with the Northern Whites and some of these uh, critical species. So it's good to hear from their perspective. Oh yes, definitely to uh, kind of have a bird's eye view mm-hmm. of of the of what's going on in the whole big picture. All right, so just jump into nutrition. I know we kind of talked about this. These are carnivores; they are meat eaters, and mainly hoofstock. You know, smaller hoofstock gazelles mm-hmm. and impala and, and deer. I guess if you're in Asia, they they do eat some some monkeys and rodents and some birds. They are stalkers, and we talked about that. Like at night is really when they do in their coats. They're very good at camouflage, so they. They kind of just jump out, but they, you know, they, they can be uh, pretty quick. I think the the coolest thing about 
the leopard species is them cacheting, you know, yeah. bringing their, their kills up in the trees. They're just so incredibly strong to be able to climb those trees. They've actually seen a baby giraffe, which kills me, a baby giraffe. But, you know, they... Hey, circle of life. Circle of life, I know. And they've actually dragged a baby giraffe in a tree. Well, like, it, and it's such a interesting evolutionary skill set because that's going to set them apart from lions mm-hmm. and, and or tigers if they're in Asia and other big cats that don't do that behavior. Right. And they do it because they lose their kills to, to other predators, lions Absolutely. and then the, the, the good old hyena, mm-hmm. the pack of hyenas that come in. So they lose about 10% of their kills. Oh, wow. Yeah, to other predators. So okay. the the one thing I thought was interesting, because I, again, I know, you know, as you and I delve into this and, and learn more, the myth that the predator always found the weak, weak one, right? The mm-hmm. one that, and I think they still do probably to an extent, the one that's injured or easier or to old. catch. But they, they really, the majority of kills, especially in leopard research, they're all in great body condition. They're not the sick or injured or the the weak looking ones. They they're taking down strong animals. So which is interesting because again, if they get hurt and they can't hunt, they get hungry, they get weaker and weaker, and they end they end up it dying. Game over. Yeah, right, it's over for them. Now I found a really cool scientific study kind of talking about their prey preference. So mm-hmm. I think this would be really really interesting. Obviously going to depend on where they are in the world. Of course. And what's available. Right. So most of this was this data was from Africa, but they, they, they do have them catching catfish. Yeah. It's a fish. That's awesome. So, so cats do like fish mm-hmm. and they like catfish. Uh, rabbits, birds, rodents. We talked about that. Uh, you talked about the giraffe calf. They've even had them taken down an adult male eland. Yikes. Which can weigh up to 2,000 pounds. Remind our listeners what an eland looks okay, like. Okay, so it's a big hoof stock, huge. It's got the dewlap, right? The neck and mm-hmm. the big spiral long horns. Yes. They, big horns. Yeah. A leopard. That's me. Okay. A little less than me. Okay. Because I'm about 230 pounds. 200 pound animal running and jumping on the back of a bull yeah. and biting its neck and trying to bring down a. You know, domestic bull. No thanks. Yeah. You, know, you watch those those rodeo that's guys. That's not the one I would pick. Yeah. yeah. No. So they, there have been instances of them taking that, but that's not the average. The average they take is the the smaller hoof stock from the, like the fifty to two hundred pounds. But they range. will do like rodents and yeah, they will. They very big diet. The uh, in Africa, their prey preference were again gazelle and impala was was most of the kills. Rock hyrex. So mm-hmm. there you go. There's your rodent. I know we're yeah. doing some rock hyrex research with the elephant. Which, interestingly enough, is very closely related to the elephant. I know. This little <laughs> thing that looks like a rat with <laughs> teeth. They're... Ah, and, yeah, gotta love evolution. Yeah. yeah elephants, uh, manatees, and rock hyrex. That's the research we're doing with Danielle. So some of the things they've, they've, they've noticed they, them catching. So aardvarks, uh, 1%. Cape buffalo. They're Yikes. probably young sub-adults. It must got, be young. Young, yeah. yeah. Chimpanzees, huh. 1%. Colobus monkeys. Porcupines. We talked about porcupines, but 7% of the kills were porcupines. Ouch, that doesn't even yeah, seem like a good, good idea. Maybe flipping them or something. Huh. Gorilla, I saw 1%. Wow. So probably sub-adults, young sure. adults. They, again, you talked about how fast they were. Their success rates on hunting, it can be as low as 5%. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's really bad. Spending a lot of energy. Yeah, less than 1 out of 10. I mean, 0.5 out of 10 or, yeah. you know, 5 out of 100 hunts in the Serengeti. And then in Kudam, they have about a 35 to 40% success rate. So it depends on, I guess, prey abundance. And you think about Serengeti, too. It's the plain, right? Sure. So there are not a lot of places for them to hide. No. And ambush. 
on average, each leopard takes about 40 to 60 kills a year. Okay. So that's about how many they can kill. And like I said, they, they take, a, they lose about 10% of uh, their catch yeah, of catch per, per year to other predators. To scaven- or scaven- yeah. And I've seen a video or it was a documentary on hyenas, like jumping up and actually pulling down a le- leopard kill that was accidentally hanging down. So they, they do get harried, you know, from other predators. This was really interesting from this study. When they have a choice of prey, mm-hmm. their number one preference is cheetahs. They kill other predators. Wow. And they have a high preference. Adults? Yes. Or- they, they try to kill cheetahs. Hmm. Now, that was kind of like sad at one point, but then, yeah, it's competition. Sure. They didn't have instances of eating the cheetah, but they, they do kill other predators hmm. out of uh, spite, I guess, or just competition. You know, yeah. chasing them off. Yeah, territory. Mm-hmm. To civets, cape foxes, they've they've killed. Now they completely avoid elephants. You know, obviously leopards not gonna take down an elephant. Yeah. My babies, no way. Hippos, <laughs> brr, we can do hippos. Hippos, we will do. Hippos. <laughs> we'll do hippos. Then the next year, we will do hippos. Oh my That's my God. husband's favorite. Yeah. They... And I do a great hippo sound for the okay. record. But I'm going to keep you listening. Okay. Yeah, we'll do that in a year. Our, our year anniversary, we'll do hippos. Yeah, yeah. they kill more people than any other animal on earth. They, they are do. They are nasty. Uh, but great. They are not nasty. I love hippos way, way away. I you like just don't want to get in their territory. No. Because then they will kill you. Again, seeing videos on the internet now of like a hippo chasing a boat. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Mountain zebras. They don't go after mountain zebras. Well, a kick from a zebra is about yeah. as powerful as a hand grenade. Yeah, so, so don't mess with them. They're smart. They probably do maybe some babies. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. Uh, rhinos, don't mess with rhinos. And then, Angie, you got to wait for it. This one, I just died laughing. The, one of the animals they avoid completely is the honey badger. <laughs> Dude, I don't blame them. Yeah. I'm looking at a picture of it right now. <laughs> I love these guys. We are doing an episode on honey badger soon. They might be the, like the littlest, toughest animal in the whole world. They are the Nasty. nastiest, meanest SOBs, but I love them. Yeah. I love them. I, um, one of my favorite uh, documentaries was on this honey badger that kept getting out of his exhibit. Not exhibit. I think it was a pet in South Africa, but... It kept building things to climb out. Like, it was so intelligent. <laughs> yeah. And then my wife, when she was in South Africa, um, working with uh, beekeepers, mm-hmm. the only thing that scared them was honey badgers. Wow. Because out of they, they'd come and just destroy their hives. Oh. And just, they are, they love honey, and they are nasty. And they're and, tough. And they're tough, and animals don't mess with them. And clearly so leopards are like... Leopards do not even go near them. And I will so definitely put a picture funny. of a honey badger uh, up Yeah, we'll have to do another episode on them. I would like to learn more about how why they're so damn tough. <laughs> yeah, they're great. Uh, so meat digestion, you know, it's kind of like us. They they have shorter digestive systems, about 20 hours from once they eat the, these big meals. They, they eat about 20% of their body weight. So 20 pounds for, you know... Uh, well, not even that. It's 100 pounds. That'd be 40 pounds, right? 40 pounds of mm-hmm, meat. That's mm-hmm. insane. So that's what predators do. They, you know, that's they what have large meals. Yeah, they eat these huge meals. They gorge themselves and then sleep for a couple of days, then mm-hmm. go out and hunt again and, mm-hmm. and get another one. And so, briefly, my organization of the week that I picked, and there's lots of good ones, uh, but it's called African Wildlife Foundation. And you can find it at www.awf.org. And then you can search for the leopard because they specialize mm-hmm. in, a, in a few different mammals and reptiles and amphibians. But there's a specific section that works just with the leopard conservation. And their main solution to some of the complex issues are to work with the local people, mm-hmm. 
which peer-reviewed evidence has shown mm-hmm. definitely helps. And then, like I mentioned earlier, they use uh, GPS, Global Positioning System, collars mm. to study these leopards. And right. So your donation goes to helping them be able... Do their research. To, yeah, to be yeah. able to put more collars yeah. on more leopards so we can understand more about their behavior. As you can see, my behavior section wasn't as robust right. <laughs> as I would normally like right. because we need to know, we need, in order to more. help save these guys, we need to learn more about and them. And what's cool about that too is, you know, again, now that I'm leaving academia, especially in the United States, you know, when I get a grant, the university takes half. Yes. It just takes half right away. Yes. This money goes directly to the researcher's pockets sure. and directly and, goes to buying yeah, equipment and, and paying I'm only people rec- and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of your, the homework for the listeners, mm-hmm. and I'm only recommending ones that take minimal processing, right. you know, because, of course, they have to they have pay overhead. for their own equipment or whatever. Over, yeah. You know, a small, like 10%, and yeah. then the rest, yeah. like I think yeah. with uh, AWF, something like 80% goes directly into the co- the collars and, yeah. the, and the local community. Yeah, the people that are doing it. The one that I found, and you write uh, peer review, this is where I found this one was an article, a scientific article on the effects of engaging the local populace and this was for snow leopards because i was aware of this program previously and it's through the snow leopard trust yes that's a great one that was my that was also my backup yeah they (laughs) so they're working with people in nepal uh mongolia where there's a lot of conflicts with snow leopards you know uh, preying on their herds the livestock yeah right and it's interesting because nepal the buddhists they don't believe in killing them but they allow like soldiers to come in and hunt them and oh, other people, so they don't really care. They're they like, do work. Please, around. yeah, they're yeah. up there. Go kill them. In Mongolia, they shoot them. You know, they oh. do because there's there's conflicts. So through incentive programs, they have developed good livestock insurance, which I know in Africa they're trying to do too with some of the predators. But depending on the government, that's very complex mm-hmm. because the government usually takes the money. Some have others. You know, they're not getting to the the people. The, the money's not getting to the people. Or the animals. So this study actually looked at the effects, and it had a great effects, not mm-hmm. only in, in, in Nepal, but in Mongolia, where they the people are actually invested in the animals. Like in, in Mongolia, they sell their wool at a premium. And so I bought products that were part of the Snow Leopard Trust that they've shipped to the United States. Very clever. Yeah. So it's a good way. So that money's going directly back to those people in Mongolia and in different parts of the world. So that's definitely one you should Google and look at. Yeah, it's um, just www.snowleopard.org. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. So our calls for action this week is please go to our email list. If you go on our website, you can subscribe to our email list and follow us, and you'll get an automatic email. Or you can go to Patreon and, and just follow us on Patreon. You don't necessarily have to be a pain member, but you can follow us on Patreon and you'll get an a email that will let you know when we release new content and then also updates and blog posts that Angie and I will be doing uh, here in the new future. So, you know, again, thank you for spending time with us. You've made it this far. So I think you you might be hooked, but please give us feedback. We love it. Yeah. The more feedback, the better. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Listen, learn, Share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.